um, summer we're taking um, a conversation, an opportunity for a conversation on how we can um, partner with God in Christ's being formed in us. Uh, so we're talking about transformative practices. We're talking about uh, the things that we can do to cooperate with what God is doing. Because we recognize that Christ being formed in us is not something that's in our hands. It's not something that, 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 that we can do. Um, not, not by counting to ten can we finally deal with anger. Not by, by, by bouncing eyes can we finally deal with lust. Not by, um, not, not, not by, by cognitive behavioral therapy with our little rubber bands can we finally deal with saying things in the moment that we don't mean and can't live with. So we need to, 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 to recognize that, that it is by the work of the Holy Spirit that Christ will be formed in us. However, your life is a tailor-made opportunity. Your life as it is, without qualification, is a tailor-made opportunity for Christ to be formed in you. In fact, the only place, say this again over and over again in the course of this series, that you will ever meet God is in your life now. Not some ideal life, not somebody else's life. Your life as it actually happens, as it unfolds with all its chaos and celebration, with all the confusion, all the doubt, all of the question marks, all of the stuff that goes on, as well as all of the wonder that just floods and flows in through our lives each and every day. That life is the life in which you will meet God and be formed to Christ-likeness. Now, why is being formed to Christ-likeness important? Why do the disciplines, then, that we're talking about, these exercises, matter? A couple of key reasons. One is we want you, we being the church, want you to be fully yourself. And you won't be fully yourself until you're formed into Christ-likeness. In other words, the more like Christ you become, the more yourself you will be. And why does that matter? Well, because you've got a job description in the kingdom that requires you to show up with all that you are. In other words, this isn't just so that we can um, experience a, a, a an out-of-body kinds of experiences. It's not just so that we can have a happy holy time with Jesus. It's not just so that so that we can be thought nice and kind and gentle by the people around us. Although all of those things would probably be beneficial to us. The real reason um, that God needs us to show up in as who we are is because He loves the city of Long Beach. Because He loves the city of Seal Beach. He loves the cities wherein you live. He loves the people you work with. He loves the family you live with. He loves your husband, your wife, your kids, your uh, friends, your partnerships better and more than you do. And he needs you to be his agent of transformation in their lives as well. This is not then about me becoming holy so that I can enjoy the benefits of holiness. It is about me and you becoming holy so that we can be useful in helping God save the world. Is any of that making sense? Yeah, so, so as we think through this, please notice 
these spiritual disciplines, these spiritual exercises are not just so that you get buffed up in the spirit. Not just so that you can do a, a, a pose and photo op. It's so that you can actually be helpful in the kingdom, right? Uh, the, the illustration for me in this is, is a, a few years ago, well, long ago and far away in a far off distant land, um, in another century as it turns out, I, I, I um, lived in, in the city of Edmonton, Alberta, which is under snow for like six months of the year, uh, or it felt like that to, to me at that time. I was born and raised in Calgary, moved up to Edmonton about 200 miles north to, to go to Bible college. And, and it snows regularly in Edmonton, sometimes two and three uh, inches o overnight, sometimes more than that overnight. And what ends up happening then is that vehicles uh, get stuck in the snow. They get stuck in drifts and, and, and you know, you get ruts and you all, all kinds of things. So, so when I was in Bible college, one, one day um, uh, walking downtown uh, after a fairly heavy, heavy snowfall and um, it's, somebody had gotten stuck in the, in the snow. And what ends up happening with that is that if you're... Anybody know what I'm talking about? So, so, so she, was, she was in her little Volkswagen bug, um, stuck in, in snow that, and, and spinning the wheels. When you spin wheels in snow, you dig yourself deeper. Because what ends up happening is that the friction of the wheels going around forms water because it melts the snow, which then quickly becomes ice. So here she's spinning and can't figure out why she can't move. Now it's a fairly straightforward. You put it in gear, you get out of your car, you get and push, give yourself a push. It's not that difficult. And then you run to catch up with your car as it, as, I've done this more times than I care to admit. All right. Well, she wasn't doing this and, and there were a few other things that were problematic to this. And so a friend of mine and I decided that we would help push her out of the rut in which she, she found herself and, and, and discovered that there was, you know, an obstacle. But we needed, therefore, to lift the front end of this Volkswagen. You recall Volkswagen bugs have the engine in the back. So lifting the front end of the Volkswagen, pivoting on its side and beginning it in a new trajectory was not that going to be that difficult, but it was more than the two of us could do. And she was useless at this point. So, but, so we're struggling, straining, trying to get this thing pushed, and it's not going to go away. Push side, nothing, nothing, nothing. And here comes a guy out of what in, was the Edmonton equivalent of Gold's Gym. Now, you got the image? I mean, this guy, I, I, can't, even, I can't even fake a pose like, like he had. I mean, it, it, his arm had no capability of even touching the sides of his body. Do you, do you know, he had, okay, so, 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 um, we're thinking, two of us, you know, we're, uh, it's a, um, and, 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 help, I can't, I'm in training for a contest, and I don't want to break my routine. Right there, I'm thinking, what is the purpose of all that muscular tissue if you can't lift a Volkswagen out of the snow? What is the point of this? Pictures will not help this girl get her car out of the snow. 
Spiritual disciplines are not just so you look good. They're so you can actually be useful to help people who need your help. Does that make sense? Um, he wandered on his way, and we figured out how to get the car out of the snow without him. Had a good, good time. As it turns out, another girl came by, and the three of us were able to get her. I, just, I know that you would be wondering all afternoon, what happened to the poor girl in the snow? We got her out. It's okay. She's a grandmother now. No. <laughs> so how do we learn how to cooperate with the Holy Spirit in Christ being formed in us, not so that we can have, have a happy, holy time with Jesus and the saints and the angels, but so we can actually be useful in saving the world, in improving our marriages, not so that we have good marriages, but so that they become a foundational, transformative presence in a community, of managing our financial affairs in such a way, not just so that we have more money than somebody else because we've learned the principles of good stewardship, but because we want to learn how to use the money that God has given us for purposes for the kingdom. How do we learn how to manage formation to Christ-likeness in such a way that our singleness is a beacon of hope to people who need people to model singleness with integrity? How do we do that? Well, you can't just do it by trying really hard. We learned that two weeks ago. Any more than you can run a marathon by trying really hard. You have to train into it. So the disciples are cluing into this. In Luke chapter 11, we'll just splash the first intro uh, text up here. God is already at work in shaping and forming us. The disciples have been with Jesus a couple of uh, months now, a couple of years now by the time we get, or maybe six to eight months by the time we get to Luke 11. And they, this is the only real request they make of him. You notice this. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. I wish I could spend all morning just on that one phrase. Place matters at times when it comes to praying. I think it's important if you want, and we're going to talk more about this next week when we work on partnership praying. Today we're going to talk about prayer as relationship so we can pray at all times and all places doing all kinds of things. But as we begin to learn into partnering with God through prayer to change the world, place will matter. It becomes a fulcrum with a lever to make a transformative difference. Having a location, a place matters that becomes sacred through the prayers of the people who show up week after week after week after week after week, even if the people are just you. Okay? But when he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. Teach us to pray. They were impressed with the way that Jesus prayed and wanted him to teach them how to pray the way he did, the way John's disciples learned how to pray from watching John. That's amazing to me. What, what it must have been like to have been impressed with Jesus' prayer life? 
As a dad, this would be one of the greatest gifts my sons could ever get, have given. Dad, teach us to pray the way you do. I learned to pray from my dad. Went down the basement at the end of Sunday night service. They had basements in the church in Calgary. We went down to pray down there and kneeled on quilted prayer mats that the women's missionary group had put together for us. And I learned how to pray at seven, eight, nine, ten years of age, listening to my dad beside me. Jesus was impressive in the way that he prayed. Now, I want you, we're not going to continue on in Luke 11, uh, but I, we're going to hop over to Matthew's version of Jesus' answer to the same request. But before we do that, I want you to notice that Jesus does not say to them, this is too much for you. This is too advanced for you. You're not ready for this. He just simply teaches them how to pray. In other words, no matter how young or old in the faith you are, he can teach you how to pray. And that's what we're going to spend some time learning in this morning. I'm going to divide prayer, as I mentioned in the, in, in the introduction here, into the two ideas of partnership and relationship. Partnership will always follow relationship. Most of the time when we think about praying, we're thinking about partnership, i.e. getting something done, accomplishing something. We're praying about something to happen, right? But I'm going to argue that this type of prayer needs a context of this kind of prayer. Prayer is relationship. Prayer that is non-functional. Prayer that is not commercial. Prayer that is not about getting something done, but is about learning the heart of a father who is doing something. You with me? And that, that part of the reason we're less effective in this kind of prayer, prayer is partnership, is because we don't know the heart of God. We haven't pressed in and let him press in to know us. So when we pray, we pray out of who we are, not out of who we're being formed into. Which is one of the reasons why I think James tells us we don't get a lot of the prayers we pray answered. Because we know what we're doing. He can't trust us with answers. So we'll talk about that next week if, if, you, if you come back with that invitation. Okay, so now we'll pick it up in Matthew chapter 6. Jesus is in the Sermon on the Mount. Um, that's what we, we call it. And I want you to notice the setup. He says, When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing on the synagogues, standing in the synagogues rather, and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, Go into your room, close the door, pray to your Father who is unseen. And when your Father who sees what is done in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, because your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in the heavens. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts 
as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So the framework of our conversation backs us up to verse 5, where Jesus is talking about the nature of prayer. And you'll notice he says a couple of things. First of all, setting the frame for the Sermon on the Mount. Remember that Jesus is saying um, that your righteousness, your way of life and living has to exceed that of the Pharisees. The most holy people these people had ever met. He says your lifestyle, your way of being has to exceed that. Principally not at the behavioral level, although that, but at the heart level. Because how you live comes out of who you are rather than as a Pharisee where how you live is a matter of public performance. You see what he's after here? So he says in order to do that, first of all, verse 5, don't be like the hypocrites who pray for show, who, who, who are actors. The word hypocrite here is, is the Greek, has the Greek underneath it, the idea of the actor, who, who prays so that people can notice them praying. And we don't see this kind of a scenario, and Jesus is hyperbolizing this here, uh, as well, he's making an exaggeration of uh, uh, kind of a of a joke, um, in, in terms of people who would who would stand on street corners and pray out loud so that people would thought they were they were holy. Although candidly, I think sometimes, um, we, we, whether it's in church or in other contexts, that that occasionally happens. We we like to be thought prayers rather than to actually be prayers. Do you know? Um, so Jesus said, first of all, it's, this isn't for public, this, the first stage of prayer that we're learning into is not for public consumption. Instead, go into a private place. And, and, and you've heard the language of the, you know, the prayer closet or the, the, what he's referring to here is the family part of the house. It, it uses a technical term where in the first century Palestine, houses had a public portion, a, a courtyard, almost a front porch, if you will, in which strangers and, and guests and visitors and people passing by because of the nature of hospitality in the first century could feel comfortable to, to, to participate. This is why when Jesus is regularly at people's homes, strangers walk in from the street. They were anticipated and expected to do that. It wasn't an uncommon thing. For example, in Luke 7, for a woman aware that Jesus was eating dinner at, a, at, a, at Simon's house to, to make her way to where he was eating. She would have not been stopped or interrupted. Uh, it was a public kind of space. But every house also had a private space that was just for family. And that's what he's talking about. Go into the family place when you pray. Don't be out in the public spaces, first of all. Begin at the private place. Begin at the, at the place where family gets together. Do, 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 do you know? It's, it's like, don't, in our, in our context, maybe you grew up with a front room or a living room, and nobody ever sat in there. It, it, was, it was not, it was for company, right? And sometimes maybe the plastic seat covers, maybe the, you know, the, 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 the uh, yeah, okay. But if you really wanted to know what was going on in the family, if you knew you were in, as a pastor, I travel around a lot to people's homes, and, and, and the highest privilege they gave me, after I, I'm thinking one family in particular, I've been there two or three times over the course of about 10 or 15 years, and, 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 and one time I walked into the house and 
and, and they just said, come on, sit in the kitchen. So we just sat around the kitchen table. That's what Jesus is talking about. The family place. Right? Where, where it's, it's just us. So, first of all, that. Then, secondly, he goes on and says in verse um, 7, Furthermore, when you, when you pray, don't keep on babbling uh, like, like pagans. And Jesus is not dissing anybody. He's just addressing a misunderstanding that often transfers into the church. And that is where, where we engage in meaningless, I, I like the New American Standard on this, the meaningless repetition. Where, where, where we keep saying the same things over and over and over again without the engagement of mind, much less heart. Do you know how, 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 you, how, you, how you do that? If, you, if you've ever, ever, ever watched kids sometimes, they will, they will get stuck in a loop. Do, do, do you know? And they'll just keep asking. Even after they have gotten what they're asking for, that they can't get uh, 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 unstuck out of the loop. They keep doing, doing, doing the same, same. At least my kids did. They dropped on their heads when they were children. Yours don't do that, probably. But, but do, 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 we do that same thing with God. We misunderstand Jesus' teaching about asking and keep on asking, knocking and keep on knocking, as if to say... This is not primarily about relationship. This is about drilling into God's tiny little brain what you need. Now, we never think that way, clearly. But that's how we treat Him. So this isn't, he says, about meaningless repetition. And we who are disciples of Jesus can do this just as readily as pagans can, right? I mean, sometimes I I, I catch myself father-godding Him to death. Do, 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 do you know what I mean? Father God, Father God, Father God, Father God, Father God. He knows who He is. Just calm down. Take a deep breath. Relax. As if He were not a person, but an object impressed with my repetition of His name. Right? So, don't, don't, don't be like that. Um, because of, and what he's missing here is the idea of relationship. Uh, and, and notice what he says, verse 9, or, or 8, sorry, Alyssa. Don't be like them. Why? Because your father knows what you need before you ask. How many feel in that verse, like I do, perhaps, a shift? in Jesus' understanding of what is happening when we pray versus my understanding of what is happening when we pray. Anybody else feel that shift? Because if Father God knows what we need before we ask, then why pray? And that question roots in an understanding that the reason we pray is to inform God of what we need. And Jesus' understanding of prayer is something quite different. Namely, it's not about informing God of anything. It is about genuine, honest, real relationship with God who loves to hear His kids' voices sitting around the kitchen table. That's what prayer is, first of all. Because you'll notice it's not just me and God in dialogue. 
it is a conversation in which I join my voice with the voices of my brothers and sisters. Notice what the first word of the prayer that Jesus teaches us to pray is. It is not my Father. It is our Father. You can't say that without an awareness that as you sit at the table, others of your family are sitting around the table with you. Not always visible, not always present to us, but there nonetheless. I join my voice in a relational conversation with God into a conversation that other... No wonder silence is as important a part of praying as speaking is. It is not just that I need leave room for God's response to our conversation. It is that other people are trying to get a word in edgewise. And if I layer my conversation with God wall to wall, top to bottom, filling in the spaces so that there's no white space on the page of my prayer, there's no room for another anybody else to say our. Does that make sense? So even though we are in the private place, it's, it's, it's not a place in which we're ever alone. We join our voices with the voice of our brothers and sisters, some of whom are praying in opposite parts of the world. He begins, first of all, then, with this awareness that prayer is the language of a loving relationship. It's not the language of commerce. It's not the language of functionality. It's a relationship of love. It is dynamic. It is mutual. It is a conversation in which we seek to know and be known, to develop intimacy. So think about how any other relationship develops in which you are engaged, whether a dating relationship or a friendship or, or, or even the ongoing relationship with coworkers or whoever it is. How do, you, how do you learn them and how are you learned by them? How does relationship work? Well, relationship works through shared space, often. Shared time, often. And shared conversation. That's what he's talking about. Our Father, who is everywhere present, we want your name to be celebrated as holy. So it is the language not of getting things done, not of efficiency. It's the language of wasted time. And I'll put wasted in quotes if that makes you feel better. Because we have a functionality attached to prayer. And, and the reason I want to get to this, because I think that's very, very important. I think prayer is the primary way by which Long Beach will be saved. Not anything we do, not our, not any of our outreach programs, not any of our, of, of, of anything that we do will not be the primary way by which Long Beach, it will be saved primarily because we pray. It's the first and most important thing we do in partnership with God. I really believe that. However, this is secondary to this. I want to learn his voice. I want to learn his heart. I want to learn what he's about. I want to learn his love for the city. Otherwise, I'm going to be tempted. And I say this to my shame. 
because I spent years and years in, in, in praying with another city that, that, that God would, 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 would um, and I'm you know, almost embarrassed to say this, but that God would bring judgment. God doesn't want to bring judgment. He wants to bring blessing on the city of Long Beach. He doesn't want to judge, fill in the blank of whatever subcategory of person you think needs to be judged. He wants to bless them. Even those, and especially those, who are his enemies. Now how do I learn a heart to pray in partnership with what God is doing rather than in opposition to what is God God's doing? I listen. It is a fundamental to prayer that you listen. How, I mean, uh, it, it, the illustrations are, 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 are numerous, aren't they? How would you love it in a new conversation with a new friend? And, and, and maybe you've had a, such a conversation where the, where the person was so insecure or so afraid that silence was just deathly threatening in any kind of a conversation. So from the moment he got in your car to the moment he got out, it was nonstop. From the moment she sat down across the coffee table at Starbucks to the moment you, you it was just nonstop. Anybody know anybody like that? Yeah. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands of anybody like that. Um, whatever we know is going on in there, it's not a relationship. And it's not even really a conversation, right? So if we are anxious about the silence of God, Darren talked a little bit about this last week. If we're anxious about the silence of God, please know he's not anxious about the silence of us. Sometimes the most effective thing you can do in sitting with a loved one is share silence together that has developed over time. Judy and I, when we, when we were first dating, used to go out to a restaurant. I've shared this story before, um, but it's, it's the only one I can think of, so I don't know. And, and, and we would look at old people. When we were first dating at you know, 25, 23, 24, 25, when we were first dating and moving towards marriage, and, and, and we would just, I mean, we'd go out for lunch and we'd just talk back and forth and excitement. And, and then we'd see over, you know, in the booth over there, some old people, you know, 40. And, and, and we'd say, because we just noticed that these people clearly were together. They clearly, had, you know, they were, check out the rings. Jude and I are people watchers. So, yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. And we're watching, you know, you kind of, yeah, they're married. Okay. And look, isn't that sad? They're just sitting there staring at each other and not talking. That will never happen to us. We will be communicators, all of our marriage. Right? Well, here we are, 36, 35 years in, and, you know, old people now, well past 40. And yesterday we went out for breakfast, and, or ran out for lunch, rather, and sat at the restaurant, and guess what we did? She sat beside me. Doesn't often happen. Just the way the sun worked out. It was a beautiful patio overlooking Laguna Beach. We decided to share the view because I got the place first. 
to sit there. What did we do? Well, we talked about things that were important and sometimes we used words. Because what was most important in our day yesterday was not anything we had to talk about out there, but simply sharing together a meal and being present in one another's company without the need to impress, without the need to control, without the need to do anything but be. Do you ever get the feeling that sometimes God just wishes you'd shut up? Hey, anybody else? <laughs> Stop talking! Let me love you. Let me embrace you. Let me weep with you. I've heard your complaints. Can we just sit and let them sink into our shared soul for a moment? Do you see? So, there is no, therefore, right way to pray this way. It's just a matter of showing up. That, by the way, is the hardest part. Not just scheduling time and place, but actually being there when you're there. We've, Darren was talking, uh, as I came in this morning, and maybe I mentioned to you that we are a distracted people. We have a hard time being anywhere that we are. This kind of prayer requires that you be where you are. Because God will never be with you where you aren't. Your life, as it is now, right now, is the only place where you will ever meet God. And if you're not there, you won't meet Him. Second thing I want to understand, first of all, is the prayer of a language of a loving relationship. Second, it's a, this kind of praying assumes a certain kind of reality. And this is where I get into trouble with folks. Because I'm going to suggest to you that faith, which is probably one of the more misunderstood concepts in Christian understanding, is not about getting things done. Faith is hardly at all about outcome and results. Faith is about standing in a certain kind of reality. What kind of reality, first of all? Well, it's the language of the Trinitarian universe. It's the language or it's uh, it, it, faith is about how we stand and live and the fact that we, we, we have a heavenly Father who, who uh, is in the heavens, who is everywhere around us. You have to know that that is true and stand in that reality before this kind of prayer makes any sense at all. You, you with me? So prayer is, is not about commercial responses. It, it's about being present in a universe that is multidimensional all the time. We, we, it, it's not, um, unfortunately, we, we develop, it's helpful to think about this way, but it's not the language of parallel universes. It's the language of one universe, some of which we can actually see, and others of which we have no knowledge of whatsoever. We stand in a universe in which I believe there are angels present in this space at this time as you are. I believe that. I don't see them. I don't have any strong evidence externally of their presence. I just stand in a reality in which that's as likely as anything else. Do, do, are you with me? Because if you don't stand in that reality of a God who is present with you, sight unseen, you will not be able to relate to Him in a conversational, relational way. It might be helpful for you, therefore, to 
put Jesus in a chair across the coffee table from you and talk to him as if he were there. Brennan Manning tells a beautiful story of that, uh, that, that, that occurring, and I'm not going to go into it, but I, it, it's just a way for us to stand in a reality. We need a visualization. Some of you will, 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 will be praying with your art, with your music, this conversational relationship. Some of you will be more effective in this taking a walk with Jesus than kneeling down anywhere. Did you know that Jesus can keep up with you on your morning run? And he can talk without running out of breath. That he, as you sit with your, your creative process, writing poetry or writing, a mu writing songs or, or doing a, a, an art project or sculpture, if, if that's the expression of your soul, that ha that's a language he can understand. Do, do you see? This is what I'm talking about with spiritual disciplines. He speaks your language, especially the language of your heart. So, so I, now, if you don't believe that, he doesn't. And it's not because, it's not his problem, it's our problem. And by believe that, I mean stand in a certain reality in which that is the case. It's not, faith then is not, a, the more faith you have, doesn't result in more things happening. In fact, as you learn Jesus well enough, you'll discover that what he's really training us for is to walk by faith when nothing's happening, when there are no answers, when people die, when people still get sick, when things that you have prayed about don't occur and we continue to press into a reality in which God is present, sight unseen, not working the way we want Him to, but holding us nonetheless. That takes more faith than this answer does. And I'm not... I'm, uh, please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that answered prayer is an important indicator. It's just a very minor one compared to what Jesus is leading us into here. Does that any of that make sense? So as we we stand in that, we, we pray against a backdrop of, of grace and mercy and love. Why? Well, that's the nature of the Father in whose name we pray, whose name we lift up, who is everywhere present. You don't have to talk God into being and doing good. He is good. He wants to bless. You don't have to persuade Him that you deserve blessing. He's way past that. He just wants to bless you. Why? Because that's who He is. From our first knowledge of Him, He has been a blessing, empowering God. You don't... You don't Stand in a reality and let Him bless you. Now, here's the deal. He gets to choose what that looks like. Because it's His blessing. So it might not look like you look like. Some of you are going through a tough time in a friendship or a relationship, maybe in, in your marriage, and your prayer is all about fixing it. Is it possible that blessing is strengthening, strengthening you without fixing it right now? Is that possible? Because his goal is not a happy marriage or a, a, a flawless relationship. 
His goal is Christ-likeness. You with me? He wants us to desire first things first. Not second things first. That's standing in a certain reality. As we engage in conversation with the Father, He knows his our language and we can learn His. So prayer doesn't require a formal language. Did you know that there was no Hebrew word for prayer until the intertestamental period, about 400 B.C., is when we see the first emergence of a Hebrew word for The Hebrews, the Israelites, didn't pray. What did they do? They just talked to God. They complained. They lamented. They worshipped. They praised. But they didn't pray. Why? Prayer is formal religious language and it does not describe what they did with God. Does that make sense? I would like in some way to take the word prayer out of our vocabulary and just invite people to talk with God. You got something to talk about? Talk about it. Complain? Complain. Thank? Well, thank. Prayer, then, is sharing in the life of the Father. Because when we engage in this conversational relationship, we realize that the hour sitting around the table includes every member of the Trinity who are in conversation about you all the time already. Romans 8 tells us that when we pray, we are joining our voices with the voice of the Holy Spirit who is groaning with words that are unexpressible, carrying the weight of your life before the Father and talking with Him about you. A little bit later on in Romans chapter 8, we learn that Jesus is doing the same thing. The Son of God is speaking your name into the heart of His Father. So when we pray in this conversational, relational way, when we join our voices with those sitting around the table with us that we can see, some of whom are, are, are perhaps even distant, we can't see with our physical eyes, but we're aware of a brother or a sister somewhere else when we are praying, not about things, but about relationship as well in the conversation is God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. We pray into a and in a Trinitarian universe. This is, by the way, what it means for us to learn how to pray in Jesus' name. How did we learn to talk like an adult as kids? How did we learn that? By talking with adults. By listening in. By changing the tone and texture of our conversation. By developing a vocabulary. How do you think you're going to learn to move forward in the relationship of conversational relationship with God except the same way? By listening to the prayers of the Son, by listening to the prayers of the Spirit and shaping your praying, your conversation to those kinds of things. Because, and this will set us up for next week, prayer works in the realm of persons. Prayer is personal conversation. And in the realm, in the nature of persons, a couple of things are true. First of all, brokenness in relationships matter when we pray. 
And not just relationship with God, relationship with other people. Right? So Jesus is going to go on here in the prayer and say, forgive us as we have forgiven others. Why do we have to get forgiven as we have forgiven others? Well, because if we don't forgive others, we don't stand in a reality of forgiveness ourselves. We have work to do before we can engage in that kind of relationship. Or if David says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, Psalm 66, 18, if I regard sin in my heart, you don't hear me. It's not that he doesn't hear us. It's that, that there's something in, in the blocking of our core relationship. Right? Or, or the worst part for me is the passage in, 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 in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse, verse 7. Look at this. Husbands, be considerate as you live with your wives. Respect them. Treat them with respect as the weaker partner, as, as heirs with you, as a gracious gift. Look at that last line. So that nothing will hinder your prayer. Now, I want equal time. Don't you think there ought to be verse 8 that says wives? Anybody? No? We'll just vote stuff into the Bible. We do it all the time. Anyway, what's that saying? It's saying if I have tension in my relationship with Judy in a dominating, domineering way, if I'm not using my power to empower her, but to diminish her, then my capacity to pray, be in a conversational relationship with God, is hindered. So that means I need to pay attention to the horizontal relationships as ways of empowering the vertical relationship. Does that make sense? So prayer is relational. But the other thing is that we should notice that in a conversation, in a relational universe, asking is the way that things get done. In a relationship between friends, in a relationship between uh, loved ones, asking is how you get things. And in fact, one of the things that we, I can still remember being trained at my family table was that family doesn't demand, family asks with a please and with a thank you. There is a mannerly way of engaging in outcomes. We're sitting at the table, I want the salt that's up by my sister. I don't demand, I ask. Please pass the salt. And when she does, I say thank you. That's how things happen in a conversational, relational way. Now, I suppose over time that we can be trained in this. That's what we're invited to. Then we get trained not just in how to ask, but in for what to ask as we develop intimacy over time. And that sets us up for our conversation next week. I'm going to just ask you to play with this for a few minutes with me this morning as uh, Jamie and, and, and the team come back up. We're going to just take a minute or two uh, uh, underneath this song. And I'm going to invite you to, 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 to just talk with God. Imagine Him present beside you. And I, I want you to just talk with Him about what's of concern to you right now. But with this qualification... Don't ask him to do anything about it. Don't ask him to do anything about it. Just
talk about what is heavy on your heart. Does that make sense? What's going on in you that you just need a good friend to talk with about it? Talk then to him about it. Use the, use the words in your mind if you want. Just sit with the silence and moan, either silently or out loud. Just talk with him about what is of concern to you. And then just sit in the stillness for just a moment. Hear perhaps his response. Let him love you in the things that are of concern to you. Father, as we take a moment this morning and, and close out this part of our service, we want to just sit with you. We want you to um, sit with us without demand. Without demand that you do something about the things that are of concern to us. Just lifting them before you. Talking with you about them. People, situations, finances, relationships. Lord, we're way above our pay grade in knowing what ought to be done about many of these things. And so, Lord, we just want to talk with you about them for a few minutes this morning. And then listen to you talk with us about the things that are of concern to you. In Jesus' name.